uh, this beginning beginning night of these five days of gracefully waiting before God. And um, I am going to begin to speak tonight defining what grace is all about. Uh, when you mention the word grace, for the most part, most of us immediately presume that we understand and know what grace is all about. And that's why it's one of the most difficult things to teach. Because in order to fully understand grace from God's perspective, for many of us, we have to unlearn some of the old things we've embraced in order to be fully established in the grace of God. Now, I want to establish from the very beginning that the very center and core of the whole Bible is the concept of the grace of God. Grace is the most important concept in the Bible, Christianity, and the world, period. It is most clearly expressed in the promises of God revealed in scripture and embodied in Jesus Christ. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, the unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. If we were to write a shorthand for everything grace means from A to Z, if we could put it in shorthand, it would be like this. Mercy, not merit. If you can ever remember that, in everything you say, do, be, if you can just always remember that coinage, that shorthand, that the grace of God has to deal with mercy and not merit. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we are starting very slowly because I want to make sure we establish a good foundation for where we are going, laying the uh, message line upon line and precept upon precept. Now, when you go to the New Testament in the scriptures and you begin to read, for instance, let me, let me just go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. You, you don't have to go there, but let, let me just go there to make this point. Matthew's gospel will tell you that his account of the life of Jesus is the gospel according to Matthew. In the book of Romans, Paul was speaking to, speaking to the Roman church and he said to them, he used this phrase, he said, my gospel. Paul took ownership of the message he was preaching and he called it my gospel. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 13, the Bible mentions this, says, this same message as the gospel of your salvation. Ephesians chapter, five, chapter 6 verse 15 refers to the same message as the gospel of peace. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11 mentions the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Now, I threw all of that at you. Because if you don't have a certain grounding and you're reading these various passages, gospel according to St. Matthew, the gospel of peace, the gospel of your salvation, and on and on and on, you're wondering if these messages are in fact different messages. But the truth of the matter is, all of these are labels for one and the same gospel. There is only one gospel in the Bible and that is the gospel which was known to Paul. Hear this? As the gospel of God's grace. 
Go with me to Acts 20. Acts 20. At the end of the day, there is only one message, only one gospel. Only one. Only one. Acts chapter 20. In verse 24. It says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, what's that ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, in another passage in Galatians chapter 1, Paul took this so personally and if you don't really know the background, you're wondering why is he talking to these people in this manner? Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to make a very good landing point on that, but I need to build up to it uh, so that you re recognize that what we are addressing is a lifetime message. Galatians chapter 1. In verse 6, this is Paul. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You know, now, what Paul is addressing here is a common factor for most believers' lives. No one can be born again except by the grace of God. Because it's by grace that we are saved. But what happens is it doesn't take too long if you're in the wrong setting and around the wrong people, listen to the wrong things. It does not take too long before you quickly go back to try to fix yourself even though you could not fix yourself. So Paul, having planted the church here in Galatia, he said to them, wait a minute. How could you be so soon removed from what got you to where you are. Now, let, let me read that verse again. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, notice what it says to them. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Strong statement. Verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. I mean, this is a very strong statement. Why is this man making this very, very bold and, if you will, almost like a harsh statement against anyone that's preaching anything other than the gospel of grace? This is background information you need to know. So you can appreciate what God is doing and why he's saying that we need to stay here. Look at verse 11. Same chapter. Verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to mine. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is huge. It came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. 
be more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Why is Paul saying this? Why is this important for us to understand moving into this journey into grace? It is important for us to understand this. Giving the testimony of Paul, who, as he just told us, was a single man who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ and wanted to destroy it. So he said, listen, the reason I'm so much on this bandwagon is not because a man taught me what I'm telling you. I got this by revelation. I have a testimony. I tried to destroy that which I'm trying to build now. And while I was busy destroying it, I caught a revelation. Yes. I didn't get a doctrine. I didn't get a Bible study. I met a man. What I'm sharing with you, this gospel of grace, because if anybody deserves God's mercy, God's favor, it will not be Paul. Paul was a murderer. But not just a murderer, he was murdering Christians, people who followed God. So by all human account, this man, Paul, definitely does not deserve mercy. He does not deserve any kind of favor. He does not deserve any kind of love. If anything, he deserves to die. But God said, even though you deserve judgment, I'm going to show you mercy. Even though you are not worthy of my love because of what you have done in your past, but because of the essence of who I am, because my grace is not about what you have done or what you are doing or your merit to deserve it. So Paul is saying, based on this background, how can you receive Jesus by grace and you are going back to try to fix yourself? The gospel of God's grace. Are you following me so far? So this message of grace is not built on doctrine or theology, but on Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, that's why in Acts 14 verse 3, we read the word of his grace. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Ah, thank you, Lord. In verse 14, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Verse 16. And of his fullness we have received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you're not going to hear anything else tonight, please hear this. This gospel of grace is the revelation of God's love to mankind through Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace is the revelation of God's love to mankind through Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This message is so complete. Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, you are saved. Amen? Secondly, not only are you saved by grace, 
Second Peter chapter 2 verse 18 tells us that we grow in grace. So number one, grace is able to save me, but it just doesn't save me and leave me there. We're also told, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 18, that we are growing in grace. But thirdly, I want us to read this part. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Okay, so what do we have? We have three things. Number one, we are saved through grace. Number two, we grow through grace. Number three, grace teaches us. One of the most criticisms about the grace message is that well, it makes you lazy. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, you, do, you don't have to uh, live holy. On and on and on again. But the, the people that say that don't really. They have not fully understood the entire message. Grace not only saves you, it grows you. Grace not only saves and grows you, it helps you be godly. It teaches you how to be godly. Now. For the portion for tonight, I just want to address certain elements of our salvation that hopefully will be a mind opener or eye opener to many of you. How do we get into the kingdom of God? I've told us Ephesians 2.8. For maybe we better just read it. For by grace are we saved. You know what? Let, let me read it. Let me read it from a few more passages, a, a, a few more verses. Verse 4, let me start from verse 4. This is good. Let me provide context. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, <laughs> why? Why is he rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. You need to underline that. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. In case we have no, we don't, we, we, we're a little mixed up about what he's saying. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God wants to eliminate, he wants to, listen, this is how you got born again. You didn't pay for it. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. Because of his great love that he has for us, even though we were dead in trespasses, through his love, by his grace, he saved us. And it lets us know it's not of works. It's a gift. You didn't do this by yourself. Strong emphasis. Grace, when understood and embraced, this is the truth. This is what I'm finding out. When grace is understood and embraced, it transforms our desires, our motivations, and behavior. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. When you understand it and embrace it, it transforms totally and completely your desires, your motivations, and your behavior. No doubt about it. What changed Paul from a murderer to become a saint? How did this man, who was going from town to town, killing Christians, had a change of mind? Did he read a book? No. Grace is a person. Jesus. Grace is a person. I'm telling you guys, grace is a person. And his name is Jesus. So if you want to know how grace behaves in a situation or how grace acts in a particular situation, watch Jesus. Watch him. Now, let's break this down. Let's break this down. Because in this study, even for me, <laughs> I now know why years ago when I was getting born again, it took several trips to the altar for it to take. I may have been the only one. I don't know. But I said that prayer, God knows how many different times. On and on and on and on. Yes. But I know now why. Let's, go, let's look at the process of our salvation. Number one. God's love provides forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is, it's, it's so simplistic, but I'm going I'm to start talking about some things now. You're going to see that even though it's simple, many of us are still struggling. God's love provides forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Look at what it says. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, in him, Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Oh my God. Help me, Father, to take my time to make the point. Hear me, church. If God freely gave up his sons, his son to die for our sins, how much more will he freely give us all things? Now that, I, now that you are in him. Do you want to know the number one reason for which believers are weak? and unproductive and not a real threat to the enemy, here it comes. Because for the most part, many of us do not have this secured assurance of forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Christians are weak and unproductive because the forgiveness issue is not settled. Second Chapter 1 verse 9 makes it clear that if you don't, if, if you don't settle the fact your past sins, your sins are forgiven, you're not going to be fruitful. Why? Because as you are trying to move forward, the enemy haunts you. He whispers in your ears, how dare you get up there and pray? How dare you open your Bible and read? You? The same you? Abba. How dare you do it? You that was angry with your son, with your wife, with your husband. How dare you say you are a child of God? And he begins to throw darts. Darts of accusation. Darts of doubt. Darts into your heart to, to deflate you and to depreciate you and to make you feel unworthy to be a child of God. Let, let me throw this out. Let me ask you this question. Are you 100% sure 
that you are 100% forgiven 100% of the time. <laughs> Let me ask that question again. Is it triple deeper? Are you 100% sure that you are 100% forgiven 100% of the time? Hundred, hundred, hundred. Because if you are just ninety nine point nine, you are in trouble. And notice the emphasis: hundred percent sure that you are hundred percent forgiven, hundred percent of the time. God forbid that that point one percent of the time that you are not sure is when you need God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you tonight? God's love provides forgiveness of sins through the shed blood, not because of anything that you can do to earn it. Not even your penitence. Not your remorse. Not your nothing. Nothing. The only way forgiveness comes is a gift. And that gift, by the reason of the blood of Jesus. End of story. So the process of salvation, number one, you need to know that God's love is making this provision for you. Now, the issue of God's love is a whole message. We can't touch that now. But it's important because if you don't understand that, the enemy will wear you out. It will wear you out. And when this message gets in your heart, that's how you're going to know that the message is in you already. Because not only will you receive the love of God, it's going to change how you love people around you. Yes. Absolutely. But for tonight, suffice it to say, number one, in the process of a salvation, remember number one, that God's love, this incredible love, this inexhaustible love, this unlimited love, this everlasting love. Now notice what God said, everlasting love. Oh, it just hit me now. Everlasting love. What does that mean? Before you got here, he loved you. After you gone from here, he still loves you. Before you are ever a seed in your mother's womb, he loved you already. Ah. No wonder Jesus could be the person who is grace. No wonder grace can be a person and that person being Jesus. Now we can catch that. He went to be baptized at Jordan. And God trying to show the world that you are looking at grace in person. The Bible said the heavens opened and a dove came upon him and there was an announcement that said behold this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Grace in action. God questioned what about this man that has not done anything will make you have pleasure in him. The man has not done jack. He's not preached a message. He's not opened a blind eye. He's not worked a miracle. And God said, you know what? It's my son. And by virtue of sonship, I'm well pleased with him. No works. No effort. Nothing he had done gave him that affirmation. And that's the same Thing that's available for you and I today. So first, God's love must be established. Number two, and this is really the place where I'm going to spend a little more time tonight. Repent. Or repentance. Ah. Don't let your heart skip when you hear the word. God's love Provided forgiveness because of the blood of the Son. Be assured 100% of the time that all 100% of the sins is taken care of forever. 100%. 100, 100, 100. Second thing here, in the process of a salvation that is important is the issue of repentance. 
There is a huge confusion when it comes to repentance because of two covenants. That word repentance means two things. Actually, it means the same thing, but there are two different ways of executing or implementing it under the two different covenants. Are you following what I'm saying? Repentance or repent by definition, go check it out, means changing your mind. Whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the meaning is the same. However, the means of implementing it differs in both of those covenants. Let me read you a scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. If you get this point tonight, God will help all of us. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Look at what it says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So under the old covenant, you got four things you got to do. Humble yourself, pray, seek his face, and then please don't miss the last part. Turn from your wicked ways. So in the Old Testament, the focus was on turning from wickedness. Are you hearing me? That was the focus. Turning from wickedness or from evil or from sin. Can you just imagine the Pharisees who were supposed to be the top notch of people set apart from God. They consider themselves holier than anybody. They consider themselves as experts when it comes to the things of God and keeping the rules and the laws given by God. However, their focus was on turning from one sin or the other. What does that do to us? If I become sin-focused, what do you think happens? Let me, let, let, I'll explain to you. It's very simple. So, say, for instance, maybe I finally, after 19 years of praying and fasting and seeking God, I conquered fornication. I finally get fornication in my back pocket. I conquered it. So now I get puffed up. Man, Brazil, I got it, man. The puffiness of the father that thought I had earned a victory. Guess what happens? So I turned from fornication. Now I'm into heavy duty pornography. Why? Because my focus is turning from sin. So you may turn from one sin and you find yourself handicapped by another. That's number one. Number two, let me ask you a question. You humble yourself, you pray. You seek his face, and then if you're lucky, you turn from the sin. Question. Because according to that passage, it is after you've done all four that you will hear from heaven and forgive your sins. So you only did three out of four. So do you get three-quarter forgiveness? Are, are, you, are you following the trend of my, of my presentation? It is very subtle. But if you're not careful, and if you're not really, really had an encounter with the gospel of God's grace, you find yourself in this vicious cycle of motivation, condemnation, and rededication. Because God, oh man, I don't want to do this again. This terrible sin, I don't want to do it. So, so, so my remorse motivates me to ask God to help me. I, I don't want to do this sin again. I don't want to do this again. So for a few days and a few weeks, I might not do it. 
But God never designed for us under grace to live like that and walk like that. Therefore, what happens at the end of the day is you find yourself back in that same thing again. And then you get condemned. The enemy says, look at you. I knew it's just a matter of time. You'll be back here. Guilt, condemnation, and then you go back and rededicate and you start all over again. 99 years later, you're still in the same spot. Trying to overcome the same sin. The same wickedness. Because God never, under this dispensation, expects for you to do that. You humble yourself. You pray. You seek his face. And then you turn from your wicked ways. Then he hears. That was under the old dispensation. Not now. Not now. Repent? Yes, we must. But keep the meaning of repentance in place, in focus. Repentance means changing your mind. Changing your mind. About what? We'll talk about that in a minute. It's important for me to say at this point, this issue of repentance or repenting. God does not forgive your sins in installments. No. Because he didn't pay for the sins in installments. This is not MasterCard or Visa or American Express. No. He paid for it one time. Once and for all. I'm going somewhere here. I'm hoping you can get, you can receive what I'm about to say. This is huge. Forgiveness is a free gift of God. Now, I'm sure everybody can can receive that. But the next phrase is difficult. And God does not need your permission or repentance to forgive you. I'll show you in the scriptures. It's a gift. But not only is it a gift, it does not need my permission, nor my repentance to give it to me. Yes. Wow. I told you guys that I went to the altar how many times? I, I can't even count. I, I, I lost count. The preacher made the altar call. Here I go again. I need to go get born again. They take me to the prayers, go back to my seat. Two days, I was sober, I was normal. After three days, my, those salvation back in those days didn't last more than two days. <laughs> I was back there where I was, and the next service, I was up front again. Why? Because I never understood the meaning of repentance. And I was trying to appease God Please God, find favor with God, find merit with God on the basis of my own decision to repent and forsake a sin. Should we continue with sin? No. And I'm going to show you how not to do so. But I'm telling you that we've been using the wrong approaches and therefore we find ourselves knee deep in sin and shackled and chained up. And the reason God allowed the old covenant was to show Israel and everybody else the futility of trying to please him on their own effort. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. Forgiveness is a free gift of God. And God does not need your permission or your repentance to forgive you. Pastor, that's too heavy. Why is that so? How can that be so? Let me give you two or three scriptures. First of all, Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just read that quickly. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, say every, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, when it says every, is there anything excluded from that? 
Every means every. All. Of which forgiveness is a part. But I know that that's, that does not nail it for many of you. I understand that. Let's go to one more scripture at least. How about Matthew chapter 9? Matthew chapter 9. In verse 2. Matthew 9, 2. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. When did the guy ask to be forgiven? When did he repent? Son, be of good cheer. Why? You are looking at grace. With grace, you don't need to do anything but your disposition to believe it. Be of good cheer. I know you've been paralytic. I don't know how many years you've been in this condition. You've been sad. They've taken from place to place to place. Everybody has pitied you but couldn't help you. The man came looking for healing. He received forgiveness. Why? Why? Before I answer the why, let me give you one more. John chapter 8. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. Couldn't deny it. Couldn't explain it. Couldn't spin it away. Caught in the very act. By the time Jesus dealt with all of, his, all of her accusers, he now said to her, Madam, where are these damn accusers? They've all disappeared. Notice the next thing Jesus said to her. Go and sin no more. He didn't say repent. Because in the mere pronunciation of the word go, from grace. When grace tells you to go, grace has empowered you with everything you need to be able to go in that situation and live above the condition, live above the situation that you don't ever have to return to it. Huge. Forgiveness is a free gift. And God does not need, need my permission nor my repentance. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Did they ask him for forgiveness? Did he forgive them? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. With God, it's a free gift. On human relationships, it's a different story. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking tonight about the gospel of the grace of God and our relationship with God. Oh, I'm, uh, yes, I'm going to go there. God's grace in your life is bigger than anything you can sin. Yeah, I can see the faces. I know you guys are saying, wow. This man is full-blown heretic now. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. So the OT, I earn, or rather I try to earn my forgiveness. But not under grace. Acts 26. Acts 26. I know I'm, I'm talking about repentance. So, in those days for me, for Bank Akemola, in those days, ah, okay. Why did Jesus pronounce to the adulterer or adulteress, go and sin no more? And to the paralytic, 
your sins are forgiven. Why, why, can we, why could he do that? Why could grace do that? Because grace recognized that man's problem, the root of man's problem is sin. But the acts to deal with that sin is forgiveness. <laughs> so when you lay the acts to the root, what happens to the fruit? It dries up. It disappears. The root is sin, sin, wickedness, evil, missing God's mark. That's the root. But the acts that takes care of that root is forgiveness. And when you lay acts to the root, what happens to the tree and the fruit? It dies. It dies. Now, back to Acts 26. I need to run now. Acts 26, verse 20. Start from verse 19. Now, look at the repentance in the New Testament perspective under grace. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea that the Gentiles, and then to the Gentiles, I'm sorry, that they should repent. So we are not saying you should not repent. How you do it is the issue. In the Old Testament, People repented by turning from sin. In the new covenant, under grace, we repent by turning to God. Ooh, huge difference. So rather than trying to fix all my sin problems, turning from one to the next, how many would you turn from? Anger, lying covetousness, lusting, and on and on and on and on. You go, you go mad. Turn, 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 turn. Rather than turning from issues, you turn to a person. So you're not turning from, but you're turning to. Of all the biblical characters, David, even back in the old, understood that. That's why he could say to God, you are my refuge. Yeah. You are my fortress. Where else will I go? Rather than flee from you, I'm going to run to you. Yes. So back in those days, I was trying to run from my sins, repenting week after week after week after every great message and ran to the altar trying to avoid my sins, never understanding I needed to run to God. Huge difference. Because what happens when you run to God? When you run to God, Ultimately, this God, this someone, this grace, when you run to him, in running to him, really, you've left those things behind. Effortlessly. Whereas before, I was trying to run away from sins, walking feverishly to avoid those sins. Sin management. Things I need to put in place. Sin avoidance. I need to make sure uh, I'm in certain place at certain time because I want to avoid. And at the end of the day, it's futility. But by running to him, it takes me away from all of those things. Transforms my desires. Why? Because I've now met something and someone that, that is infinitively much better than what I had. Therefore, the change is permanent. Grace is the only one that can bring lasting change. Anything that I have to fix to make change, when I stop putting forth the effort, the change I've made will be lost. Ah, you see them every day. We go on this wonderful diet. We starve ourselves. 
We lose 25 pounds, 30 pounds in one week. We have pictures on Facebook. You book all of the books. The day you stop eating the things you are eating, that got you to lose 25 pounds, you blow up like a balloon. The next time they see you, they say, what happened to you? I thought you lost 25 pounds, you will get 90. Self-effort. Effort. Is losing weight good or bad? No, I'm not saying it's not, it's not a good thing to do. I just use that as an example because it's easy for, to, for us to understand it. It's easy for us to understand it. And I'm saying to you, whatever effort you made to make a change, when you stop putting forth that effort, you lose that change. But when grace does it through you, it's effortless and the change is lasting. What do you want tonight? You want godly repentance or you want to go back doing your penance? Please, let's turn to our faith. The process of salvation. Number one, understanding and embracing the love of God that brings forgiveness through the shedding of his blood. Number two, repent. Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. What does that mean? In fact, let me, let me just quickly nail that. Repent. What does it mean? Repent and believe. What does it mean? It's simply saying, change your mind about who you think God is. Change your mind about who you think God is and what you think in your life. Change your mind. Believe what God has said about yourself. Repent. Change your mind. Change your thinking from what you think you used to be and believe what God says about you. That's what repentance means. And we should be repenting on an ongoing basis as we see new things from God. God teaches us new things. We keep on changing our mind, changing our positions on and on and on and on. That's what repentance means. And as you continue to focus on God and change your mind based on what God is saying, you'll be far removed from the filthiness and the evil and the sins that used to easily beset us. So you are no longer under sin management or sin avoidance. You are alive unto God. Repent and believe. Number one, God's love. Number two, repent. And number three, believe him. That's the process that gets us saved. Let's just lift up our hands tonight.